Good morning. It's so good to see you all here this morning. I want to welcome you. I want to thank you for being here to worship with us. I also want to welcome those of you who are at home this morning. We understand that we're having some issues with Suddenlink, uh, so your live stream at home may be a little spotty. But I want you to know we are going to record this, and you can always go back and look at it later. So, well, first, thing, first thing we're going to do, I'm sorry. I want, you, I want you to realize we have the youth praise team up here this morning. And uh, I'm so thankful that they're up here. I'm so glad to see them worshiping and learning songs and, and praising God. And, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing, especially for young people. Uh, it warms my heart, and I know it does yours too, just to see our young people being active and, and being dedicated to do this sort of thing. So I just want to kind of turn it over to them now. Well, this is a song we fell in love with at camp last summer. We didn't get to go this summer, but uh, we pulled this one back out. And it's just as amazing now as it was then. I wanted to read for you real quickly out of Isaiah chapter 43. It says, But now thus saith the Lord, He who created you, he who formed you, fear not. For I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. This is one you may have heard on the radio here recently. It started to get a little bit more airplay here for some reason of late. I think maybe it's because of all the fear that's in our day and in our society. And this song is just a comfort to know that the same God who was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the same God who was with the children of Israel as they crossed through the sea, is the same God and the same power that's with us still today, no matter what we face. So uh, as you pick up on this song, sing along with us. The words will be up here. Hopefully it'll touch your heart this morning. There's a grace when the heart is under fire Another way when the walls are closing in And when I look at the space between Where I used to be and this reckoning I know I will never be alone There was another in the fire Another in the waters holding back the seas. And should I ever need reminding how I've been set free? There is a cross that bore the burden, and another died for me. There is another in
song that is. You know, in Isaiah 1:18, it says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be made white as snow. Though your though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. Now that is something we can be proud of, something we can be excited about, something that we can realize that we have because of what Christ did for us. And that is a reason to praise him. That is a reason to worship him all the time. And I mean, Jonathan and I were talking earlier this morning about, you know, we agree with things, we read things, and, and we understand that that's the truth. But, but to feel it in your heart and to realize that our entire eternity is changed because of what Christ did, because of, of what he did for us. You know, this, this life on this earth is just a blink of an eye compared to what we have coming. 
And it's all because of what he did, because of his love for us. So that is a reason this morning. We have every reason to praise him. Stand with me if you would. his name tell of his salvation from day to day declare his glory among the nations his marvelous works among all the peoples for great is the lord and greatly to be praised he is to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols but the lord the lord made the heavens 
Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples and his faithfulness. Praise you, God. Thank you so much for your word. Why do we worship you? Why do we sing? Why do we ascribe to you glory, honor, and praise? Because you are worthy. You are the worthy lamb. Our worship to you right now, God, only comes by your grace and your mercy. God, we are not giving you anything. We are just responding to how great and mighty you are, God. You, oh God, are our righteous judge. And Lord, we approach you with knowing that you love us, God, that you care for us, God, but that you also are just, Lord that you do not leave the guilty unpunished, but you are patient and loving, kind, lovingly kind. Lord, we thank you so much for that, God, and I pray that we worship you in spirit and in truth today. Thank you. Amen.
Well, thank you, praise team, and our youth praise team. Thank you for the wonderful music this morning. Now, I know we have a lot of folks watching from home today, but I just want to tell you, it's hard to imagine ever getting the the sense of what God is doing and the and the wonderful music and the spirit that is here this morning over video. I also uh, am amazed at how wonderful it sounds and the struggle sometimes we always have of, you know, communicating uh, over uh, virtual networks and so forth. I hope that uh, I come across a little better even in person than I do on uh, video because I've watched myself on video and I'm not impressed. So um, this morning we're going to continue in our study of the book of Revelation chapter 10. And you know, a question that has troubled God's people throughout history is why has God allowed evil in this world? You know, the wicked often appear to prosper. Satan and his demons deceive and destroy, and, and sin seemingly runs rampant and unchecked. I couldn't, I couldn't count the number of people over the years that have asked me, you know, if God is if God is good, if God is holy, if God is sovereign, why doesn't he put a stop to all the carnage and the corruption and the chaos that sin brings in this world? Why does he allow his own children to suffer? I mean, when will divine justice prevail and, and the righteousness that he uh, has promised come into this world? When are the wicked going to be finally punished? And even the tribulation martyrs in heaven ask this same question in, back in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 10. They say, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? You see, all the pain and sorrow and suffering causes the people of God to, to long for God to intervene in this world. And we do have some answers but but for the most part, this has remained a great mystery ever since the the fall in Genesis chapter three. The book that addresses this question in the greatest depth is the book of Revelation. It tells us that there is coming a day when God is going to break His silence. When God is going to reveal finally all of his purposes concerning the world and this, this, there's going to be a consummation of all the things that God has promised. At that time, the Lord Jesus Christ will return and he will establish his kingdom on the earth. And he will rule righteously, it says, with a rod of iron. You know what that rod of iron means? It means that there will be no more sin on the earth because he's in control. And all the agnostics and atheists and scoffers who have mocked at the idea that Christ will return will be silenced once and for all. The millennia of sin 
lies, murders, thefts, wars, and the persecution and the martyrdom of God's people will be over. Satan and demons will be bound, cast into the abyss for a thousand years where they will no longer be able to tempt or to torment or to accuse believers. The desert will blossom. It'll become a garden. People will live long lives. There's going to be peace among all levels of society. There's going to be even there's going to be peace among the animal kingdom. The lion and the lamb are going to lay down together. The ravages of sin, broken hearts, broken relationships, broken families, broken people, broken dreams. Going to be healed. Sorrow, sadness, mourning, pain. It's all going to vanish like the morning mist in the noonday sun. As I was driving to church early this morning, there was a mist over everything. And you, you couldn't, you know, it was almost like a fog. And, and then a little later, the sun comes out and it's bright and clear. So often that's the way life is. The, the world in which we live, it's, it's a mist. There's so many things that we can't see, we can't understand clearly. But one day, the sun is going to shine on this earth. It's going to clear everything up for us. And you say, well, when is all this going to happen? Well, in our passage today, we learn that that long-anticipated day is going to be ushered in at the sounding of the seventh trumpet. And in the words of Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15, it says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Are those beautiful words? So the seventh trumpet will release the seven rapid-fire bowls of judgment that immediately precede the return of Christ, and then it will be resolved. But before the seventh trumpet sounds, there will be an interlude, which stretches from chapter 10 and verse 1 all the way through chapter 11 and verse 14. And this, this interlude is, is going to um, come in time to give us the opportunity to assimilate all the truth that God has revealed to us, to, to look again and to renew and understand what it is that God is doing in the midst of all of this stuff. Because sometimes our focus gets on all these horrible things that are happening, and we focus on the events themselves, and we miss out on the purpose what it is that God is accomplishing in the middle of that. Now, I'll put up our graphic here just to kind of remind you of where we are. And as we've already seen, there is a break that occurs between the sixth and seventh seals. But now we understand that that there is also a break between the sixth and seventh trumpets, which are a part of the seventh seal. And, And these interludes serve to encourage God's people. 
It reminds them that God is still in control. It it encourages us because we are reminded that God has not forgotten us and that ultimately that we will be the victors. It's It's a wonderful, wonderful thought. So I want us to read about this here in Revelation chapter 10 and beginning in verse 1. I want to read this great interlude. I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had in his hand a little book which was open. And he placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. And he cried out with a loud voice as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken and do not write them. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land, lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it and the earth and the things in it and the sea and the things in it, that it will be, that there will be delay no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished. As he preached to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me, saying, Go take the book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. And so I went and to the angel, telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, and in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little book of the angel and hand and gave it and ate it. And In my mouth, it was sweet as honey, and when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, you shall prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. And this is the word of God. Let's pray together. Our Father, we have gathered here this morning to worship you, to fellowship and encourage one another. We have opened your word with a desire to understand what you have spoken to us. And as always, we we call upon your Holy Spirit to give us understanding of these words, sometimes difficult words to understand. And I pray, Lord, that today that you would enable me to speak in a way that would uh, make clear the things that are revealed here. And Lord, we we also pray that we could uh, assimilate this into our own lives, make it very personal and apply it as we walk through the rest of this life. We pray encouragement for your people, and we pray for those who have never come to that place where they have resolved the issue of salvation, that today they would turn to you in faith and have eternal life. And so Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now, this interlude that we've just read about is something that encourages us. And you'll notice that in there, it talks about the mystery 
of God. You see that? Did you see that phrase in verse 7, the mystery of God? And it says that the mystery of God will be finished. Another way of saying it, it it's complete or it's, it's resolved. The mystery of God resolved. And it's going to be resolved through the events that transpire in the book of Revelation because the book of Revelation is the end. There's a resolving of all these things. In the Bible, a mystery is something that God has not yet revealed or something that God has not given us enough information to fully understand. It's something that we may have a concept of, but we don't really grasp it fully. And so, until the book of Revelation, you see, God's plan for dealing with sin and Satan and resolving all things in the world has not been revealed. It's only when we get to the book of Revelation that this resolution, this, this finishing of the mystery of God comes complete. And so chapter 10 addresses three facets of the mystery of God that will be resolved at the sounding of the seventh trumpet. First, we see this. God's judgments will, will finish the mystery of sovereignty and sin. The mystery of sovereignty of sin. Now, I want to tell you, this is difficult stuff. This is heavy stuff. And I know from experience of, of, of having a whole week of just studying it and contemplating it and trying to come up with ways to make it clear that this is pretty heavy stuff. And so it takes some effort, some energy on our part to, to grasp it. But let's think about the idea of sovereignty and sin. That God is sovereign means that God is in control of all things. That he rules. And yet, though God is sovereign, he has allowed sin to continue and to have a place in this world. And those seem, to, to us, that's a mystery in a way because that doesn't seem consistent. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So, so the question comes, why? I mean, what purposes does God have in this? This is one of the great mysteries of God. Now, let's, let's look again at these first five verses of this chapter and see if we can tie this together. He says in verse 1, I saw another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head. And his face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. And he had his, in his hand a little book which was open. And he placed his right foot on the sea and his left on the land. And he cried out with a loud voice, as when a lion roars. And when he had cried out, the seven peals of thunder uttered their voices. And when the seven peals of thunder had spoken, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. Now, the first question comes is, who is this strong angel coming down out of heaven? Why is he coming down out of heaven? What's his purpose? And and many believe this angel to be Christ, a kind of like an Old Testament appearance of the angel of the Lord. 
And, and you can understand why they might think that because this angel reflects many of the characteristics that we see of the risen Christ in chapter 1. Plus, he's holding in his hand the scroll that has been opened. And he also, he roars like a lion, which we know he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So you can see that these things make sense. But even so, I do not believe that this is the Lord Jesus. And for several reasons. First, the word another there means another of the same kind. And in other words, this angel is another judgment angel like the ones we have been seeing blowing the horns. Jesus is unique from angels. Jesus is far superior to angels, as the book of Hebrews clearly tells us. And if we were expect, if this were Jesus, then we would expect the word heteros rather than alas, because heteros means another of a different kind. Jesus is different from angels, and so we would expect that word. But it uses the word, this is an angel of the same kind. Secondly, whenever John uh, uh, sees Jesus in the book of Revelation, he always gives him a unique title. Uh, He's called the firstborn of the dead, uh, the ruler of the kings of the earth, the first and the last, the living one, he who is holy and true, the amen, the faithful, true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, the lion that is a tribe of Judah, the root of David, the lamb, and and, you know, it goes on and on. And, And third, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, could not make the oath that this angel makes in verses 5 and 6 because he swears by the Creator. If this were Jesus, he would have to swear by himself because he is the Creator of all things. And finally, if this were Jesus coming down from heaven to earth, this would be another coming of Christ, one that is inconsistent with anything that we know in the Scriptures about the second coming. So you see, this is not Christ, but this is an angel that serves to bring an interlude. That is a pause in the action between the sounding of the sixth and the seventh trumpets. What purpose does this interlude serve? It takes our attention off the horrors of the tribulation and puts our attention on the purposes of God, what God is doing. And the description of this angel symbolizes the nature and the purposes of the judgments that have fallen upon the earth. And and, and we see that the judgments of God, you see, bring a mystery uh, to an end, the mystery of how a sovereign God can permit sin to continue. Because what we have in this is a resolution. Now, I want to call your attention then uh, to look at this to ten symbols of judgment that this angel presents for us. And let's look at it like this. So here we're going to look at the symbol, and this is highly symbolic. And then we look at what it, what it, what it means in terms of what kind of judgment, what aspect of judgment is it. First, this strong angel, think about strong, means that he is powerful or, or that he is sovereign. We also see that he puts his foot on the land and on the sea Uh, over the whole earth, he's sovereign. This is a picture of the sovereign judgment of God. God has all power, 
so that he can do whatever is necessary to deal with sin. And sin and sinners are subject to God. This angel is clothed with a cloud. And it presents, it represents, is a symbol of storming judgment. Clouds can be associated with, with glory or they can be associated with, with judgment. And this is, in this context, it's a storm cloud. Storms are overwhelming and devastating. This is the kind of judgment that we've been seeing on the earth. It's this overwhelming judgment. He also has a rainbow on his head. Now, here we have a kind of a, a little difference. This represents mercy in judgment. Rainbow, interestingly, translates the Greek word iris. He has an iris on his head. You say, well, iris, is that a flower? No. But you see, iris was the Greek goddess of the rainbow. She was the messenger of the the gods. And, of course, the bow goes from the earth all the way to the other side. And she was pictured as going from the earth to the gods and, and coming back, being a messenger, as it were. Iris, in classical Greek, as we know, relates to our eye. That little halo, that little color of circle around the pupil. It also refers to anything that has a halo around it. And basically what he's doing here is he's picturing for us this angel has that multicolored rainbow that we know that, that God put in the sky after he flooded the earth. And it's a picture of the promise that God will never bring about judgment on the earth through water again. And what did God do in the middle of that? God saved out of that group of people, Noah and his family, the righteous. It's a picture that even though God brings judgment, he is saving out of the midst of judgment his own people, those who are believing. So <clears throat> then he also has the face like the sun. And this picture's holy judgment. God dwells in unapproachable light, uh, whom no man can see. And you remember, uh, we, we saw last week that uh, God told Moses, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. This is the holiness of God. And then he has feet of fire. Feet, picture judgment that is approaching. And fire, pictures for us, consuming Judgment, consuming everything. God is consuming all sin. All sin will be dealt with. And then he has an open book, open little book. This is revealing judgment. Now understand, this book is what we think of as a scroll. It's the Greek word biblion. And we saw this scroll back in chapter 5. When Jesus took that scroll from the Father, and it was sealed with seven seals, and he began to open the scrolls. Now all seven seals are open. This scroll is fully open, and all the judgments that are there are revealed. This is, this is the revealing of the judgment that God brings upon sin. God is sovereign over sin, and God is dealing with sin, and God will bring about all of this judgment ultimately, fully, and completely upon sin. And this book is, it's a, it, the word that is used here, it's a diminutive of the word Bibelon because this, this book, this scroll, needs to may, be made smaller now 
so that John can eat it. It's for the symbolism. It's made smaller. And so here we have this, this little book, this small scroll, and then it says that his feet are set on the sea and on the land. What is this? This is reclaiming judgment. The angel puts one foot on the sea, one foot on the earth. Now, you can imagine this is a pretty big angel. Pretty, He's towering. He's, he's, he's gigantic. He towers over the earth. And he's massive in this perspective of this vision. Since no limitation is, is given in describing the sea or land, this action demonstrates she that God is sovereign over the whole earth. God is, again, we see this, this sovereignty here. And he is about to take back the earth from the usurper Satan. It's reclaiming. Yes, God has allowed sin to have its time. He has allowed Sir Satan to have his time on the earth. But God is going to reclaim the earth. And the angels act also symbolically anticipates the coming judgments of the seven uh, bowls that are going to be poured out. They're, they're yet upon the whole earth, it says. And then there's this loud voice that roars. This is proclaiming judgment. It has been a mystery in many ways, but now it, the seal is open and the truth, the reality of this judgment is proclaimed clearly to everyone. The mystery is being dissolved, you see, as, it, as we continue. And then there are seven peals of thunder. Now, seven represents that is what is complete. This is the final judgment. There is a final, there is a resolving totally of all the judgments, and it comes to an end. And thunder, of course, is a harbinger of, in Scripture for, for judgment that is coming. It's the, the, the threat, the, the, for, uh, the foreshadowing of judgment. You know, it's like when you see the thunder and lightning at the beginning of a movie or a, or a TV show. You know something bad's about to happen. This is, this is what it does. And then he says, do not write. Seal it up. We still got a mystery. There's something we don't know. When the, when the judgment of God finally falls on sin, there is no longer any question about the sovereignty of God, nor of his purposes in allowing what he has. But even in this, sinful man, weak human people, don't fully get everything that God is doing. Still an element of mystery. So there's this, there's this mystery about sovereignty and sin. And then there's, a, there's another mystery. It's a mystery about patience and promise. You see, God has promised over and over again through his, promise, through his prophets in his word that he is going to judge sin. So the question is, why is he waiting? Why do sinful people seem to get away so much? Well, why do the righteous have to suffer under their evil? Let's look and see what he says in verse 5. Then the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land lifted up his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and the things in it, and the earth and things in it, and the sea and the things in it, that there will be delay no longer. 
But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished as he preached to his servants, the prophets. The angel that, that John saw standing on the sea and on the land lifts up his right hand to heaven to take a solemn oath. When you go to court and you have to go to the testify, you have to raise your right hand and swear that you'll tell the truth. This angel is taking an oath. Now keep in mind that he has his hand on the Bible as well, as it were. He has in his left hand the scroll that has been opened, the the revelation of God about the judgment. He has that in his hand, and he is holding up his right hand, and he makes an oath. And he swore by him who lives forever. And he he swore by him who is the creator of all things. So this angel is swearing, you see, on behalf of God. It's a, a twofold description of God. This, the, the fact that he lives forever and ever speaks of God's eternity. God has all the time that he needs to take care of all these things. Patience with God and patience with us are two different animals. We're not on the same page when it comes to understanding of, of time and patience. And he's also a sovereign God. His sovereign power. He, he created everything out of nothing. So he absolutely has control, power to be able to do whatever it is that needs to be done. He can do it. And by the way, he identifies God as the ultimate of call, all that is. This world did not evolve. It was created. And it is not run by random chance, but it is run by a sovereign God. And this angel swears in the name of the sovereign creator. He says, what's he saying? What's he swearing to? That there will be delay no longer. There will be delay no longer. Well, the question is, a delay in what? What will no longer be delayed? Well, the answer is in all the things that God has promised. The coming of Christ, the judgment of sin, the establishment of righteousness, the blessing of God on his people that he's promised them. See, there there has been a delay. And there is still a delay. We are in a delay right now. Sometimes people call it tarry. But God calls it his patience. And you see, that delay is often so mysterious to us. We pray. Jesus taught us pray. Thy, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. See, on earth as it is in heaven. We, we're praying for that. But that mystery that it, that it doesn't is so mysterious to us sometimes. We pray, even so, come Lord Jesus. You ever, you ever hear something on me and say, oh, Lord, just come. Have you ever been traveling on the interstate and all of a sudden you come up on stopped traffic? And as far as you can see in front of you, there, there are cars just sitting there, stopped. And you have no clue what has happened. 
You don't know, you know, if there's been an accident, if they're trying to get somebody out of a, cut somebody out of a car and they're waiting on a, a lifelike helicopter. You don't know if there's been a truck that has spilled chemicals. You don't have no idea how long you're going to be there. You don't know if you're 500 yards away from what's happening or if you're five miles from what's happening. You don't know. It's a mystery. But that delay, you're in a delay, and boy, you don't like it. And you don't, you, of course, you get your phone out, right? You find out what's going on. And we start looking around. We start looking for, get our map going. Is there a detour? <laughs> we'll go another way. You, we're not going to deal with a delay, right? We, we talk, get out and talk to the trucker. Ask him what he's hearing on the CB radio. What's going on? Start, how much gas do I have? There's some bushes. You know, you just you start asking all these questions. Oh, I got a delay. I, I don't know. So, you know, like the martyrs at the fifth seal, how long, O Lord? How long is it going to be? But, but the delayed coming of Christ, the delayed judgment, and even the progressive nature of the, of the tribulation, the fact that there's judgment that just intensifies, intensifies, intensifies over this long period of time is a, is a picture of the incredible patience of God. God has made these promises, yes, but in the meantime, God is incredibly patient with this world. And it, it's a mystery to us sometimes. But here, the angel says, there will be delay no longer. But even then, there's a qualification. Because it says in verse 7, but in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, then the mystery of God is finished. Now that phrase indicates that the judgment of the seventh trumpet is about to is about to come, and that it's not going to be a single event, but it's going to be something that happens in days over a period of time. It's going to take time for these bold judgments to play out. So even then, there's a process. So the sounding of the seventh trumpet brings the final judgment depicted in the bowls upon the earth in the time of God's patience then is seen as having come to an end. My friend, God is patient, but his patience does come to an end. There is a day when God says there's no more delay. That's true about the, that's true about the tribulation. And let me tell you, that's true about your life. It's true about your own life. There comes a day when God says there's no more delay. And what's happening may be not be played, up on, played out on a worldwide scene, but it can happen in your own life. The prayers of all the saints of all the ages for the consummation of the kingdom of God are about to be answered. And then we, again, when, we, when that seventh angel sounds, the kingdom of the world will become the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and he will reign forever. Now, at that time, the mystery of God will, has, will have been finished as he preached through his servants. 
In other words, everything that God promised will come to pass. Mystery in Scripture refers to, again, truth that has been hidden. But God will reveal it in his time. Mystery. Paul gives us a definition of mystery. Romans chapter 16, 25, he says this. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, listen, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested. Do you know what he's referring to? He's referring to the coming of Jesus Christ and his substitutionary death on the cross and his resurrection. He's talking about that was not revealed in the Old Testament. It was pictured in the sacrifices and the sacrificial system of the Jewish people, but it was not fully explained. And now what he's saying, this is a mystery that's been hidden for long ages, is now has come to full revelation, come to full light and understanding. These these things were proclaimed by the prophets, but not in fullness. But now we have full revelation, full understanding, full appreciation of them. And the same is true with the judgments of God and all that God is doing with the world. We don't understand it fully, but it's going to come as a revelation. You know, there are many mysteries that are hidden in the past that are revealed in the New Testament. I put those up for you. Uh, The kingdom, uh, Israel's blindness, the rapture of lawlessness, the mystery of Christ, of Christ in the church, of Christ in the believer, of the incarnation. All these, see, there's incredible mysteries that have been uh, written about but not revealed fully. And here Paul says he's a steward. He said, I'm a steward of these mysteries because my job is to bring these things to light. And the mystery of God, of which the angel spoke, I would say is summed up in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 10, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. Christ is the consummation of all that God has promised. It's the consummation of God's plan in bringing about his glorious kingdom to fulfillment the salvation of the elect, the glorious kingdom that goes with it. it, includes the judgment of men and of demons, the mysteries that were been hidden before, now are made known in great detail. So all this happens, and even the new heavens and the new earth are created. God had preached that, all of that, to, he says, to the servants, to his servants, the prophets. Let's go back to the road. Get on the road again. You're driving along the road and you're dodging potholes. You hit a few. Your vehicle's jumping up and down and you're going, man, this road is terrible. They need to fix this stupid thing. This is going to tear my car all to pieces. Next time you come to the road, there's orange barrels and there's a sign flashing that says, Road construction, next 10 miles. Expect delays. Don't you love that sign? Expect delays. And all of a sudden, the road's torn up worse than it was before. 
And you've got to get on the rumble stick to get down the road, and they're very narrow lanes, and there's dust flying everywhere, and everything's a mess. And what's more, nobody's working. They got signs that blinking, and they're all standing out there watching, and they never ever want to get done, right? When are they going to get this done? But they don't, it seems. But we put up with that. Why? Because one day they're going to take away those orange barrels and there's going to be a nice, smooth highway with bright stripes for a few days. (laughs) And he's going, oh, it feels good to ride on that road, doesn't it? Well, in many ways, we kind of find ourselves like that place when it comes to the things of God. There's some delays. But God is working on some stuff. And it's not pleasant. It doesn't seem, it doesn't fit our preferences in all that God is doing. But one day, God takes away all the orange barrels and God opens up the highway to complete fulfillment. So we, we see the mystery of, of patience and promise. And we see one other mystery here is the mystery of revelation and wrath. God's judgments will, will finish the mystery of revelation and wrath. Uh, verse 8 says, <clears throat> Then the voice which I heard from heaven, I heard again speaking with me and saying, Go take this book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel telling him to give me the little book. And he said to me, Take it and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it. And in my mouth, it was as sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And they said to me, you must prophesy again concerning many peoples and nations and tongues and kings. Now, the voice that John heard earlier speaks to him again. And and John now is going to become an active participant in his vision. He's not just observing what's happening. He's going to be part of it. And so the angel says, <clears throat> tells him, go get that book and eat it. When you do, well, it's going to be really sweet in your mouth, but then it's going to make your stomach bitter. And so John does as he is told, and what he discovers is that when he eats it, oh, it's sweet. But then his t- stomach turns sour. You see, what's going on here? Well, this scroll that he eats, it's the revelation of God. It's sweet. It's something we enjoy. And when you eat it, what do you do? You you take it into your life. It becomes a part of you. It nourishes you. It's the bread of life. It, It... it has a benefit, and you, when you take it in and you understand it and you understand what God is saying, it's a, it's a beautiful and sweet thing. But then, when you grasp the reality of it, that, this, that these judgments are coming, <clears throat> that this thing that we were worried about, God's sovereignty and sin, God's, God's patience and, and, and promises, we realize that this is really going to happen. All of a sudden, it becomes bitter. We realize, wow, people, 
without God, people who are unbelieving are going to experience this judgment. This real, very real judgment. You see, we mourn bitterly over that. <clears throat> I think Revelation is like that. People are fascinated by Revelation. They want, they, they have a hunger for it. They want to hear it. They want to know what it means. And when, when they begin to understand, well, there's a sweetness to that. People have been telling me, man, it's great. I, I'm starting to understand the book of Revelation. But there's also this part of us that says, man, the reality of this is, is kind of overwhelming. It's upsetting. And then some people say, well, stop. Don't, don't do that anymore. Don't teach that anymore. I don't want to hear that. And you know what I've noticed? I've noticed that some people read the judgments of Revelation and are virtually unmoved. Because, you know, there's a lot of people got this idea. Well, you know, that's good. That's happening at the end times. I'm part of church. We're going to be raptured. We're going to be here. I don't have to worry about that. That's, that's, that's the thinking of a lot of people. I, I'm just interested because I want to see what's going to happen to those people. It's like watching a show. See what the, the, the horrible things are going to happen to them. But listen, you know what happens to John? God says, John, go get that and you eat it. You get it down your life, in your life. You let it become real to you until you feel it. And then when you feel it, when you realize the reality of it, then you are ready now to go and proclaim that truth to the rest of the world. Until you get it in your life, you're not ready to talk to anybody about it. This is what God's saying. It's the mystery of revelation. Is sweet, your wrath is bitter. Do you want it? Do you want it even though it's bitter? Yeah, because it's sweet. What a mystery. And friends, there's no greater, greater mystery resolved that when God sends his own son, Jesus Christ, into the world to become a man, and then God takes sovereignly, takes all the sin of the world and places it on his own son and then pours out all of his wrath and fury and judgment upon his own son. This is the greatest mystery. How could he do that? How would it be possible for God to do that? And Jesus suffered and agonized my sin and your sin. And then he was buried, but then he rose from the dead because he is sovereign over sin. Sovereign over death. Sovereign over all things, and he rules and he reigns. And he has been incredibly patient, waiting 
for you and for me. And he is going to fulfill all his promises, all the promises that he has made. And he graciously has given us his full revelation of all that he is doing, even the wrath. But today, you and I see the mysteries of God, to some degree at least, finished, resolved, what God has in plan. God wants you to live with him forever through the sacrifice, through the relationship of his son, Jesus Christ. And you can. You can if you are willing to turn from your sin and to turn to faith in Jesus Christ. It's the only resolution for your problem is faith in Jesus Christ. I want to ask you just to close your eyes, bow your heads just for this moment and evaluate your own life. Let the Holy Spirit give you understanding and direction. And I'll tell you about another mystery. Oh, your heads are out. Your heads are bowed. Your eyes are closed. There's a mystery. A person totally controlled by sin, dominated, dead. can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and by his great power the holy spirit can bring give you life that's a mystery but i hope you could experience that mystery today and by god's grace that you would call out upon him and say god i i, I know i know i've sinned but I believe that Jesus suffered in my place. And by faith, I turn from my own ways and I turn to him and I want to have eternal life. Resolve that issue in my life today. Let the word of God absorb into the depth of your being produce that sweetness. See, the gospel is so sweet. You just heard about it. It's, it's so sweet. But you know what? There's a bitter side. Because you have to come to the cross. And you have to die. You have to lose your life. And you have to receive the life that Jesus Christ gives you. It's sweet, but it's it's bitter. But when you do it, then you come, you resolve the mystery, and you receive the wonderful gift that God has planned for you in it all. So come to Christ and be saved. Father, help us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were one of those that turned to Christ today, would I, could I encourage you, please, let me know about that. I would love to hear about it, that you are dismissed.